0: Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. Her name is Christina Radix Verum. Last kind of two words that she uses on her social media are R-A-D-I-X. Next word is V-E-R-U-M. And they came across her work. She's working on a documentary on a subject I really want to learn more about. And the title of that documentary is Kidnap and Kill, an FBI terror plot. And it's about the this would woodna- not. Whitmer kidnapping plot that was announced uh, back in October 8th of 2020. And I remember it was announced. It was like, this was real, and they were really trying to get the governor of Michigan. And it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, I'm interested to find out more about this whole thing, because I remember it crumbled. I think one of the court cases didn't go through, and they had to retry people. But yes. Uh, Christina can talk more about that. So, Christina, welcome to William Ramsey Investigates.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it is a crazy story, as you were saying, um, truly remarkable. And everything that's gone on uh, since these guys have been arrested has been just uh, tragic to to see. For
0: you know. people who haven't heard your name, Christina, can you kind of talk about your background and how you got interested in the Whitmer so-called kidnapping case?
1: Yeah, so um, I used to work as a paralegal, so I, I suppose you could say I always had an interest in kind of like the law and um, investigating things. I suppose that's sort of like my background. And uh, when the Whitmer thing first happened, when these guys were first arrested, um, I had been at that time in the process of investigating uh, and just looking into, for my own uh, reasons, um the FBI's old PATCON operations. (laughs) And so um, when I saw this happen, I thought, huh, this seems a little fishy. You know, I better look into this. And then as I just started following it and I I wrote articles, um, you know, uh, as the case went to trial and I followed along with the trial and all of that uh, reporting on the case. And it it just was uh, wild. And then After everything happened, um, I started uh, interviewing and talking to one of the guys who was acquitted in this case. And that is how I got involved in working on a documentary on it. Because after talking to him and hearing his experience, I just felt like this story has to be told from the other side, from the other perspective. You know, we've only heard the government's narrative, which is the mainstream media narrative. They are the same. Um, and you know, just looking at the documents uh, that came out, everything that came out during discovery, it is very clear uh, that it is not as it was presented to us.
0: Right, and so you raised funds for the documentary and you have a trailer. I'm, I'd like to play that trailer right now, is that okay? Yes. Okay, cool, let's, let's play that, it'll come through.
2: Earlier today, Earlier today, Attorney General Dana Nessel was joined by officials from the Department of Justice and the FBI to announce state and federal charges against 13 members of two militia groups who are preparing to kidnap and possibly kill me. We're grateful to the FBI and law enforcement who discover these domestic terrorists and stop them. You know, it's a sort of behavior you might expect from ISIS. You might see a number that high in a sprawling narcotics conspiracy that stretches from coast to coast and beyond. That's a pretty high number in a case like this. It really reflects, I think, how deeply the government has been diving uh, into this investigation to try to make these cases. It was just literally a bunch of working class guys who, on the weekend, got together and, you know, exercised their rights and trained with firearms. So the FBI says, hey, we'll just pay for everything. Who arranged the meeting? the FBI's paid provocateur. Robeson was getting paid to set this stuff up. So they make the route, they set the locations, they make the plan, they do everything, and Adam's literally just sitting in the basement of the vacuum repair shop smoking blunts all day. You're gonna hear that my client was the leader of this group. But I think you're also gonna hear that there was an election held to identify the leader, and it was Dan. How can I frame this social situation to make this naive person appear to be a dangerous, violent terrorist? The whole goal was for the FBI to spend millions of dollars to create militia groups, record them saying offensive stuff and then frame them in a fake conspiracy.
0: website is kandkfilm.com for people who are just listening on the uh, podcast but really good uh, visuals on this so you went out and literally interviewed the people who were arrested and charged right
1: yes some of them um so uh for my interviewing with these guys uh Two of them, two of the guys I was interviewing, they are in prison. Uh, I was interviewing them while they were in Nuego County Jail, uh, pending sentencing after the retrial. So that was kind of like a really weird situation. I was able to get a good amount of interviews in with them, though, before they got moved to Supermax. Um, but they did get moved, so they're no longer able to participate in the documentary. So I ver- I've interviewed uh, various family members, uh, friends, people who were present at some of the so-called field training exercises and of course uh, one of the two men who were acquitted yeah
0: so for people who may not have known how kind of the earlier uh, outlay you said there's 13 guys arrested and biden calls them domestic terrorists as bad as isis pretty intense whitmer says they're going to kidnap and possibly kill me right so that's what kind of went out on the national media What's really happened in the arrest? And what was the evidence that the government had against these 13 people?
1: Yeah, so that was how it was framed. I mean, that was the narrative that was presented. And if you look at the timing of that, right, this is one month before the 2020 election that these guys are arrested. And it is used, you know, sort of by uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. They talk about it. They mention it being one reason that uh, Donald Trump is on an unfit for office uh, they basically tried to smear these guys as being Trump supporters, a white supremacist. They said these guys were like radicalized by Trump. Um, he had tweeted out at some point, uh, like liberate Michigan, liberate Virginia. There was a couple states he said like liberate. And it was it. It was talking about mandates from certain governors, I guess, during the lockdowns. And so they were basically saying that him tweeting that, uh, incited these guys or sort of like radicalized them that they were like taking it to heart like oh trump told us to liberate michigan so we should go kidnap gretchen whitmer that's sort of like the narrative that was presented here uh that these guys were militia men so they're far-right extremists and dangerous and violent that was the the narrative presented by the government uh now these they're the way that the case is, is brought up, because it is kind of a sprawling case that stretches over a period of what is really several years. Um, and there's it, it involves like 15 different targets and 15 different states. So whatever they were trying to do here, I don't think that they were successful in that, whatever the FBI was up to, <laughs> shall we say. But they're, they charged uh, out of the... 13 men who were arrested, they broke that up into state case and federal cases. So six guys were charged federally with conspiracy to kidnap. And then three of, of those six men were hit with the superseding indictment where they added WMDs, um, which, you know, they said there was unregistered destructive devices that they characterized as WMDs. And then they, the other guys were charged uh, in state cases for, Uh, what the government called providing material support for terrorism, basically. So we had three of those guys that went to trial. They were convicted for that. All three of them. They're in prison right now, 12 to 15 years. We have four other men going to trial this summer in a state case in Antrim County for quote unquote, providing material support for terrorism. One of those guys, Brian Higgins recently took a plea deal because he felt like there wasn't really uh, that is it's impossible to get a fair trial because they keep characterizing those guys as members of the Wolverine Watchmen. Uh, they were never members of the Watchmen. In fact, FBI agent and Impala said that himself at the prior state trial. He said that they weren't members of the Wolverine Watchmen, but for some reason, the attorney general in Michigan, Dana Nessel and Gretchen Whitmer continue to refer to that state case as Wolverine Watchmen case, which is to bias it. So it's still ongoing. Right. But my documentary focuses mostly on the uh, federal case, the six guys that were charged with the conspiracy to kidnap Whitmer. Now, when that first happened, uh, one of those men, uh, Ty Garbin, took a plea deal very, very early. Um, And I think that the FBI was, uh, I think, assuming they would all take plea deals. I don't think that the government was prepared for this case to go to trial. I think that they assumed that, hey, these guys are working class, white Christian men from Detroit, Michigan. No one's going to care about that you know they you know no one's going to yeah i think the, that's what they've assumed
0: the government state and federal i'm assuming were gathering information on these guys for years prior to the charges is that correct
1: yes okay. yeah from Can from you what, kind what we of, know
0: from what we know like they have to divulge the stuff uh, information about as much as they were involved and some people would call the federal government guys provocateurs. I mean, that the defendants might, but can you kind of talk about what they, what the 13 did? I mean, it seems like they were in some type of armament thing, but they also, did they have any prior felony convictions? Were they criminally active? What Mm -hmm. were their kind of behavior and how, how did the, I mean, the story on the news is that like half of them were, like informants, like, yeah, so bizarre. Can you kind of do the background to leading up to their charges?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's very murky, because a lot of the um, material in discovery is still under protective seal. So even now, we do not have access to most of that information. Uh, And according to Barry Croft, who was one of the defendants, in this case, that that's where most of the exculpatory evidence is, and most of the government wrongdoing is still being concealed. So all I have been able to see is from what is in the public record. Now, the jury didn't get to see all of that. But from what I understand, uh, Barry was being surveilled for an entire year prior to this case. Now, the government presented their narrative as this, that these guys were in a far-right militia group that were engaged in um tactical military uh training and that these men were planning to kidnap and possibly kill Gretchen Whitmer and that they were basically they had uh the government according to them as they described but went on uh what they called a night recon right so they say well these guys took this was their evidence right that they took uh steps and furtherance of this conspiracy by driving by her vacation cottage and going on a so-called night recon surveillance recon. Uh, that was one of the main things. Um, it, and really, when you look at it, though, and when you get into it, like none of these guys would have met uh, in most cases without the uh, FBI, the network of FBI informants introducing them to each other. Wow. So. What really I want to stress and and what is absolutely clear and not in dispute is that this wouldn't have happened without the FBI getting involved. It is not as if the FBI came across a uh, terrorist plot that was already in motion, right, and then sent in their informants to observe passively and record what people were doing and just report back. To the fbi so they could prevent something bad from happening that isn't what happened here what happened is that the fbi stitched together a group of people they used a network of informants to take these different targets various people they had basically been surveilling online because of their political speech political opinions and things like that that for whatever reason they thought hey, these guys will make a good actor in a script that we're writing. And I want people to kind of think about it in those terms is that the FBI is not engaged in like legitimate law enforcement activity when it comes to these types of cases. I'm sure that in some parts of the FBI, they're doing real legitimate good work. You know, I've heard from some FBI whistleblowers that that's the case. But when it comes to the terrorism cases, there are incentives within these agencies to kind of inflate the threat of terrorism. It justifies their budget. Uh, it justifies their continued existence. And they get promoted based on that. And we know that for a fact that these agents, and, and we can get into one of them that was involved not only in this, but in January 6, he was promoted for his work in this case, basically stitching together a group of people and then framing them uh, for something. <laughs>
0: Right. So what you're saying is that the public, you see there's clearly a different differentiation between what is being told in public, in the media, and what happened in the event. So you're saying that these 13 people would never have come together as a group without the involvement of the FBI or some governmental infiltrator. So they it didn't know each other. Each See, other. that's totally different than what's yeah. out in the public.
1: It's completely different. And, yeah. and you don't know unless you actually dive into the documents. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting though, is that it, there's no reason this shouldn't be public. So I have right here, I keep a stack on my desk for when I do interviews of just some of the documents from the court case, uh, because this is where all of the evidence is. And this comes from like the FBI's own recordings. You've, I have it marked down. This is what my favorite quote from this. This is one of the FBI agents talking to his, one of his main informants. He says, quote, we have a saying in my office, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. That is an FBI agent telling his informant, like, well, it doesn't matter like what the facts are. Basically, like we are creating a story. It's a narrative. And so what you learn, and like I, like I said, I have a background working in law. And in that background, like when you're a paralegal and you are doing due diligence and investigating a story like fact finding, you're looking specifically for factual information. I want to see evidence. You know, if you're going to allege a conspiracy, I want to see how you build your case. And I was taught to examine things from multiple perspectives. You know, you you've got to know your the other side's argument better than yours, you know, your own and things like that. But, and I was taught to look for like conflicts of interest and all of this stuff, you know, and, uh, what struck me about the FBI's case is that it is very different from actual law enforcement activity. So let's talk like Rico, right? If you're going to allege a conspiracy between like, like a mafia figure you know, and and there's somebody that is like a mafia Don and they're ordering a hit on somebody and somebody else is pulling the trigger. You could make the argument that there was a criminal conspiracy and you can show how this person caused this person's death and you can build that case and show it. But what the FBI does with how they build their cases is They're not doing stuff like that. They're not showing any agreement between these guys. They show in their own internal messages between each other that like five months into the investigation, they're saying there is no plan. Uh, but we have to get them to come up with one. At certain point, you had um, Paul Bellar, one of the original members of the Wolverine Watchmen militia group in June of 2020. He's moving to a different state. He's leaving the group, and the FBI is trying to convince him to stay. And so, you know, and then they're they're saying things at various times like when uh Barry is, you know, thinking that, hey, there's something suspicious about how these people are acting. I'm stepping back from this. They have their informants go try to draw him back in, try to convince him that he's a leader and that people listen to him and respect him and that he has good ideas and should come up with a plan so it is not like i said legitimate law enforcement activity the fbi creates a narrative and then they go about cherry picking things and scripting a movie and they target people based on like vulnerability you know they always have
0: they always have it's like
1: they find patsies you know and i think that it sounds like kind of woo woo and it sounds a little conspiratorial to say but it's not um, the
0: evidence is all over the place that they've they yes. found vulnerable people. They've also incentivized Correct. this money. I mean, you can just see on your trailer, there's significant five-figure numbers being spent, and they've oh always gosh, done that. Yeah. Always, and the, just for people who aren't aware of this, the amount that the FBI spends per year in the United States on informants and provocateurs and whatever they're up to, which is it doesn't have oversight as far as I know, $500 million. Yeah, it's a, huge, million. Number. That's That's a huge number.
1: That's massive. It is. And these uh, we know these informants were getting paid in envelopes of cash that say Chase Bank on them. Now, I'm very curious about what this Chase Bank is with the FBI, how they're paying their informants with these envelopes of cash and where that money comes from. As you said, 500 million is a Tax lot. But, <laughs> but I would suggest that they also get money from other things as well. Um,
0: <laughs> interesting. You know, well, I think
1: there. I think the FBI <clears throat> doesn't engage in some criminal activity. I mean, we know in California they just seized a bunch of people's safety deposit boxes and said we're just keeping all the money. Oh I no, this that, yeah. this is someone's like life savings to buy a house, and and we're just taking it. And what are you going to do about it? <laughs> like
0: right. But the, what's interesting about list. this case is its coordination with yes. this kind of uh, political, what I would say is propaganda. So, like, the timing is incredible. Like, right before an election, you've got these guys, and the right wing is trying to, these Trump loving right wingers, that's the narrative, are going to literally abduct and kill, like your title says, kidnap and kill a governor and whatever. Like, I mean, it shouldn't be, I mean, uh, there needs to be some kind of oversight or something like that, but it doesn't seem uh, that it should be allowed. I I mean, I used to, back when I was in law school, I remember talking about, I remember reading about provocateurs and their use and prohibitions on provocaturing by the government. There are yeah. cases. And actually what comes up in this case too, is the Brady case where they're split. And this is like a fundamental easy one L first year law student stuff that if the government has ex- exculpatory information, they have to give it to the defense. You think that's a fact. Right. But here's the thing. This is a core element of our entire jurisprudence. Like, criminal procedure and criminal law is to divulge that. And if they're not divulging it, these poor hapless guys, they don't seem to see what was going on around them, uh, are being deprived of their constitutional rights. In my opinion. That's
1: 100% you're right. And I'll just read you something from, this is from their Uh, What this was, was the out-of-court, they called it out-of-court statements uh, that were uh, put in. This is things that were picked up on the wire by various uh, government informants. This is sometimes text messages between uh, FBI agents and their informants. Um, And so this is from uh, June uh, 28th, 2020. This is audio. This is one of their informants, CHS Dan, their main informant, Big Dan. He says, Right. Like I was telling these guys, if we get him to focus on some stuff, I think he could be potentially really useful for what we want him to do. They're talking about Adam Fox, who the government is alleged as the ringleader of this. That's the FBI informant saying this guy can be really useful for what we want him to do. We're going to set him up as a patsy. You know, he's real dumb. He's real easy to manipulate. Um do you, have, like that.
0: do you have any evidence in the record that these informants knew each other or, or that they were yes. all? folks? So, so yes, did so they know the, they were all informants? The they government that-
1: claims that they didn't that they weren't aware of each other, but the evidence makes clear that they are because they're picked up on recording talking to each other and literally like coordinating stuff like hey we wow. need to get this person at this FTX at this event um, they, they obviously were aware of each other and were coordinating together and, and none of you- the
0: inform- <laughs> none of the informants were charged is that correct?
1: No, one of them was charged with a gun charge. Uh, the government burned him as an informant, charged him for a firearms charge. That's Steve Robeson. He's a convicted uh, pedophile, by the way, as well. A twenty-year, you know, felon. His uh, history of working with the FBI as an informant going back to the, uh, when he helped the FBI with some biker case. Some guy he was in prison with, he testified against this man and said that he made some kind of jailhouse confession to an arson or something. So he had a history of like working with the feds. Now, he allegedly becomes an informant again in October of 2019. And the reason for this, according to the FBI, is that he heard chatter uh, about violence against law enforcement among various three percenter groups. So the government decides to create their own uh, three percenter militia group, a national militia group, which they call the National Patriot Three Percenter Militia Group. They make this pedophile, (laughs) Steve Robeson, who also has a history of things like fraud, you know, like this is a bad guy. He's a he's a career criminal. And he, this it, is a super weird story, by the way. He's got like 13 kids living in the house with him, a woman that wears a jacket that says slave on the back, really weird stuff going on. And the FBI conceals from their own documents that he is a convicted pedophile. Because when they're listing in his uh, informant file, CHS file, they list his lengthy criminal history. They do not include the pedophilia charge we know about it though but they keep that out of their own documents just as an interesting wow. aside well, that interesting. to show how mm. like the government will conceal certain things and information they just won't put it in there in the file right, but they that's very
0: important it. because that if he ever gets on the stand that's kind of like towards a, a character Mm -hmm. investigation, it's very important for the jury to see that, is that these guys are freaking pedophiles. When
1: you're trying to get discovery and get information Mm -hmm. about them and they turn over the FBI files, well, they're omitting things from those FBI files. It's not in the documents. So you have to independently go look into this stuff and start chasing down these leads and looking into these people. But they kept him off the stand completely because he was maybe more so involved than Big Dan in just setting these guys up. Um, targeting them, uh, putting pressure on them, him with other informants. So he poses as the head of the Wisconsin chapter of the Patriot Three Percenters. He eventually inducts Adam Fox to be the head of the Michigan chapter of this fake militia group uh, completely fabricated uh, whole cloth by the FBI. It doesn't exist. It's not a real militia group. They're calling it a nationwide militia group but it isn't real. It's just they made it up. (laughs) So then there's another FBI informant, a woman named Jenny Plunk. She's posing as the head of the Tennessee chapter of this fake militia group that the FBI just created. Now the FBI is also administering Facebook pages. This is another thing people should be aware of. The FBI actively has not only informants, but actual agents who are assigned to run, uh, to create um, militia groups Two pro 2A groups on Facebook. They pose as members oh. of different militias, like Jenny Plunk uh, posing as the head of the Tennessee chapter of the Patriot Three Percenters, the FBI and her they're administering that facebook page they created a facebook page for adam fox and they gave it to him and then the government used that against him at trial to say he was a member of a militia group and it's like not really like he thought he was He was a member of a fake group. And you guys gave him business cards that he proudly displayed in the basement of the vac shack where he was living while he was homeless and being targeted by the feds. It's incredible.
0: And these are kind of like a hapless, like I've seen (laughs) other um, people who get provocateured by the government or FBI. They just don't seem like they don't sense it's happening to them. And they're almost probably selected Or they fall into the net because of that. Like,
1: yes, this guy's giving
0: you nineteen thousand bucks to go shoot. Like, what's his incentive? He's got to have something, (laughs) some reason to do it. It's, I mean,
1: the government's driving these guys. Or this is the other thing. So, for people that I want to give you guys an understanding of just how much, like, the government is pushing this, and it is in their documents. So, the government alleges that uh, June fourth, or I'm sorry, June sixth of 2020. There's a, according to the government, a nationwide meetup of militia groups. Now, this was reported on the mainstream news as this big, scary thing of like, oh, these militia groups were having a nationwide meetup, you know, this big, scary thing. And I think what the FBI was trying to do was have this be a multi-state thing. And we, know, we actually know that's what they were planning. As I said, they had targets in 15 states and some of the surveillance on these folks went back to. Uh, Two thousand eighteen um so it it appears that in twenty eighteen the FBI was really trying to infiltrate various militia groups across the Midwest, which is where Steve Robson comes in from Wisconsin the pedophile that they set up as the Wisconsin head of the you know fake militia group that they created um but It's just, it's crazy, you know, some of the things that they're doing at this so-called nationwide meetup of militia groups. The government says that, oh, this is where the sort of the origins of the plot begin, right? They say that Adam and Barry are there together. That isn't true. I interviewed both Adam and Barry and they have a different, and I interviewed another man, Jeremy, who was also present at that same meeting. And he said, no, Adam and Barry didn't know each other at that point. Barry was there earlier, and then he left, and then Adam came in after Barry was already gone. So uh, anyways, at that meeting, it's chaired by Steve Robson, which the government conveniently left out. So that meeting is being held by the FBI. Right. It's the FBI hosting a nationwide meetup of militia groups. There were six people there that were informants wearing wires. Moreover, what they did was they invited all of the targets of their investigations so um, as i said the fbi had various informants posing as different heads of different state chapters of these militia groups the other uh, people that were invited were targets that were sort of interested in the militia or were in militia groups but we're not working for the FBI. So one of those guys was a a 60 or 70 year old disabled veteran named Frank Butler. He's from Virginia. He was there and these informants were trying to amp him up and rile him up, get him real excited. And he's talking about wanting to shoot Ralph Northam in the head. You know, this is a disabled elderly Vietnam veteran that the government is preying on and has had informants riling him up working him up it's an elderly man you know it's very stunning and they're telling him that he's going to be the head of the state uh chapter of the this fake militia group in virginia and they're telling him oh you're going to be in charge of the whole state of virginia the fbi informants are saying things like you need to come up with a plan and uh And make it operational or we can make it operational they told him he was going to be leading forward units you know it's something like out of a movie it's the the stupidest stuff then they the fbi tries to get him to make a bomb they actually tell wow. him how to make a homemade bomb uh, with sugar and Drano and the FBI texts him the recipe and then tells him to double it. So he could have killed himself or his neighbors. You know, uh, right. they don't care. Thank God he didn't try to build it. But like this is what they're doing. Um, and there's text messages between one of the FBI agents and the informants uh jason chambers talking to the informant dan chapel where he's saying mission is to kill the governor specifically he was talking about frank butler when he told him to send him the bomb recipe so that's Hmm. the fbi saying the mission is to kill the governor specifically talking about ralph northam as they were trying to entrap a disabled vietnam veteran in virginia
0: it's incredible it's incredible and they spent money I mean this is like tax dollars of work going after people who've never known each other, who've come together because of the FBI. Yep. So they're like a creative militia. More and over, then they put the ideas in their head like the
1: FBI trains these guys. How about yeah. this? So The Wolverine Watchmen was a militia group. It was created by Joe Morrison and Pete Musico. Those were, incidentally, the guys that were uh, convicted of, quote-unquote, providing material support for terrorism because they allowed their private property to be used for defensive firearms and medical training, which, by the way, was perfectly legal. But the FBI comes along, frames some of these guys for terrorism, and now all of a sudden... You provided material support for terrorism because you let people train on your property. You taught somebody how to tie a tourniquet. We called that person a terrorist. Michigan has a very specific terrorism law that was passed in 2002 in the wake of 9-11 that has specific language about aiding and abetting where you can be charged basically as the same as they would charge a so-called terrorist for aiding and abetting. So I find that interesting. It's almost as if, if you listen to the state prosecutor, Dada Mani and how she talks about this, she calls these militia groups terrorist training camps. And she it sounds like they're trying to criminalize militia activity. They categorize the Wolverine Washman militia group as a gang. This is also interesting when you learn how one of their informants became an informant. He had a friend, a detective, Ramirez, that was on the violent gang task force. Uh, in Michigan PD and this is how Dan becomes an informant he claims that he was searching on Facebook for pro 2a groups he comes across the Wolverine Watchmen uh, Facebook page claims that he goes through a vetting system gets in and sees threats of violence against law enforcement there's no evidence for this he didn't document it for some reason and it's the same story that the other informant has for how he became an informant vague threats of violence against law enforcement that isn't documented that there's no evidence for they just say that so now that guy detective ramirez who uh, knew dan chapel and made him an informant supposedly this is the government's narrative that dan comes across this group the wolverine watchman facebook page by the way at this point is a private Facebook group that only has 13 members. It's not even a public page. If Dan Chappell was just searching on Facebook for a pro 2A group, he claimed he wanted to maintain his tactical skills because he's an Iraq war veteran. So he was just looking for basically local groups to join. I don't believe he organically came across the Watchmen page and Facebook has basically said as much and we've learned as much that the FBI actually was targeting specific people for a while. And but that's their their story for how this guy becomes an informant that he basically sees these vague threats to law enforcement. He's friends with a cop who happens to be Detective Ramirez happens to be on the violent gang task force happens to have an FBI supervisor. Lo and behold, Dan Chapel is made an informant within two weeks. So he gets paid for about six or seven months work, over $60,000 in cash. Wow. Mind wow. you, Dan Chapel at this time was working as a truck driver, making about fifty. 50- dollars thousand a year so he was in six or seven months he made over what he would make in, in an entire year working for the fbi moreover there's text messages between him and one of his fbi handling agent jason chambers where he says he's building his resume well i'm sorry sir what are you building your resume for by acting as an fbi informant for the fbi did you want to actually be an FBI agent? It's interesting because he's going to college now for criminal justice. He's wow. probably going to be made a Fed, and that's what he meant by building his resume, setting these guys up for the FBI. Also, after these guys got arrested in October of 2020, he led them there and tried to get one of them killed, by the way, told him to bring his firearm to what he knew was going to be a takedown so that this wow. guy would pull his gun and get killed. Luckily, it didn't happen, and, and he didn't bring his firearm, but just to show that's you dark that's pretty dark yeah this is what yeah, we're dark. dealing yeah. with uh, he got paid another $23,000 cash bonus in December of 2020 from the FBI's hey job well done you know right we, uh, and so these guys
0: some the one of the one of the trials fell out right like mm. they tried somebody and they have to try them again isn't it? yeah that
1: so right? uh, you know as i said i don't think that they the FBI was actually intending for this thing to go to trial and it's clear by the way so just another complaint i'll make is there were six terabytes of data in the discovery all right and all of this stuff all of these statements so the government has provided like a timeline of what they say things happened at various dates and times so when you start looking for these dates and times to try to piece together what happened It's all out of order. So if I want to look, hey, what was said on June 6th in this Dublin meeting? And I want to read statements picked up by some of these uh, informants. You have to flip through all of this stuff and try to find and pick this stuff out. And None of this stuff the jury got to see because the judge came up with this hearsay rule where anything that was... Bad that the government said and was picked up on wire. Any text messages between them and their informants where they're actively plotting and saying, Oh, let's get this person to show up here, try to get that person to introduce this one and that one. You know, they're putting it all together. The judge says, Well, that's hearsay, but the government can cherry pick. Uh, audio from a five hour long meeting they can take a 17 second clip and play it out of context they can even play a sentence in the middle of a sentence not even playing the full sentence they're allowed to stitch together audio from different dates and times and that this was allowed to happen at trial so it's clear though like i said Five months into their so-called investigation, which they ran as a terrorism enterprise investigation, they spent six million dollars. They used drones and airplanes. They set up a pole cam at Gretchen Whitmer's vacation cottage. Um, <laughs> it's literally as if they were setting up a movie production. That's how it, it's really they're they're tracking Barry they're surveilling him for a year as he's driving his truck around cuz Barry was a truck driver from Delaware one might ask why he would be conspiring to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer because he's supposedly mad about her lockdown mandates. Barry lives in Delaware. Like The government wouldn't even say what his motivation was for kidnapping Gretchen Whitmer. It's just bizarre. And then they claim he was a member of a a Michigan militia group. And it's like, he lives in Delaware. He wasn't a member of the Wolverine Watchmen. He never would have met them if it wasn't for Steve Robeson, your informant, Introducing him to him and saying, "Oh, hey, you should go train with these guys."
0: Wow. So, so that one of the cases fell out. Where yeah. are where are where's everybody at this point? The thirteen men. One, so, they got taken to Supermax. Like that's pretty serious. Well, Supermax where? Colorado.
1: Um. So there's two. Uh, one is in Florence, and one is in Terre Haute, Indiana. Though, so they had to separate them too because they don't want them talking to each other. Uh, yeah, so it, basically what happened was they the government didn't intend this to go to trial. It did. At the first trial, um, the, the government secured zero convictions and two men were acquitted. The jury uh, basically came to a mistrial for Adam and Barry. These were the two guys the government kind of were saying was the ringleaders, although they said Adam was more the ringleader. Uh, and so the government decided to retry Adam and Barry separately, and that retrial was very very controversial even left-leaning mainstream media like buzzfeed commented on like the judge doing very unfair things at this trial he imposed an arbitrary time limit on the defense when they were questioning the two guys that took the plea deal he limited them to 25 minutes and you know if you went to law school you have to lay a foundation before you can even get into the really interesting stuff and then the judge would just say asked and answered we've already covered this stuff move it along he would say demeaning things to the defense in front of the jury like you know you're wasting their time with this crap line of questioning and things like this um but and and so after he imposed those time limits he cited some uh weird it was like a white collar um case that involves something like a 100 Different third parties, where they they impose time limits because they didn't want it to last like six months. This trial had only been two weeks; it hadn't been any. It's nothing.
0: Longer yeah, that's nothing.
1: So or it's, it's something
0: 20. that serious? The charges are what? What are the? What's the? How many years in jail?
1: Guys are looking for twenty. Looking at twenty yeah. years in prison with the terrorism enhancements, leadership enhancements. They do all of that crap, you know. So wow. it's like so, somebody's so like on the line. Let's go back
0: to the thing. So two went to Supermax. What happened to the yeah. other 11?
1: So two went to Supermax. Um, two were acquitted and, and freed. Two had taken plea deals. Now the other three so that's were- That's
0: That's five. There's yeah, five left.
1: Three were convicted uh, and for providing material support for terrorism. And then we have four coming uh, to trial this summer for the same charges, quote unquote, providing material support for terrorism
0: material sport that the FBI helped materialize, right? Well so. yes,
1: exactly. That's the thing. And so I, I want <clears throat> to speak to that real quick because much has been made about the FTXs, the field training exercises. What the government's really good at is um coming up with like Uh, Sort of like stories, you know, narratives, like a theater production, a movie. So they targeted people, I think, in some cases, based on their appearance, like Brandon Caserta. You know, he had gauged ears, tattoos. He looks scary. So you know they they take pictures of them at these training exercises like you you can see there these this guys is him, right? Brandon. that's this is Brandon yeah. yeah they splashed his uh image everywhere you know and then they showed that one clip of them going through the what the government called shoot house training right now the government conducted that they were paying for all of this stuff that was actually The plywood of that set up by the government, the FBI created like I call it an obstacle course. So (laughs) the FBI was hosting these field training exercises. Their informant, Dan Chappell, he was the leader of the group. He was the XO. And he said he was their ops guy. That's in these statements here. He's saying that. He was the leader of the group. He, he did all of this defensive firearms training. Now you can see there, and this is very, very key and important. I don't know if people can see it, how well they can see it, but you see that green smiley face on that sheet yes. of paper. That's called a friendly. So what they the government claims that what they were doing in this shoot house was practicing to take out Gretchen Whitmer's uh her in her cottage or whatever, to take out her security detail to kill them all and then kidnap her. Well, why do they have friendly targets up? If they're supposedly, they're modeling this after her vacation house, which it's not clear that that's what this is. It is not actually a model. It doesn't
0: look like a vacation house to me. (laughs) They said that they
1: modeled this after her vacation house. They didn't. That's not true. In any case, though, the FBI set this up like an obstacle course and then told these guys that this was what they called combat training. They said this is basic militia training. They put the friendly targets and the negative targets. So there's red and green. One has the green smiley face, and then one is a, a red frowny face. And they were going in and, and training of differentiating between friendly and, and negative. That is not practicing to kill somebody's security detail. This was presented to them as legitimate defensive firearms training, which, by the way, people pay thousands of dollars for, and it's perfectly legal. You are legally entitled to learn self defense, you're allowed to learn. Uh, tactical firearms training. That's uh, how it was presented. But the FBI was filming them. And this is something that when I was interviewing one of the guys, the, the guy that was framed as the ringleader uh, from prison, he said that this is when the first red flag should have came up. He was told they were going to do basic uh, CQ training. And he said that they were they had people running around filming them. And that was explained as like well this is training you know for our militia group and we filmed these for training purposes so we can go back and review your progress in the footage later so they had the fbi just set this obstacle course up And then told these guys to put on scary gear, their plate carriers, their big guns. And then they wanted to get this footage because they know that if there's some people that are scared of guns for whatever reason, you know, very liberal people, they see that image and it terrifies them. They think this is something very scary. And it's easy to construct a fake narrative of, oh, no, these guys are planning to take out her security detail but as i said when you just start looking into all of the evidence it's very clear that's not what was happening so where was
0: the, where were they tried where were they tried in detroit
1: grand rapids
0: grand rapids and then the one guy who was kind of overseeing this he ended up at j6 oh, yeah. uh, what like five months later right
1: yeah, so um there was a the head of the Detroit field office, uh it, the guy there that was the head of the FBI field office, Stephen Duantuono, got promoted after this. They made him head of the Washington DC field office overseeing January 6th. Now that's interesting for another reason, because these guys, and I always say that the Whitmer case was the dry run for J6. Because I'll tell you something, go back to uh April of twenty twenty. The FBI has the Wolverine Watchmen storm the state capitol in Lansing. And I'll tell that story. So basically, Remember that in 2020, there's the lockdowns happening. People are very upset about that, especially in Michigan. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer's were particularly bad. One of the the guys that was charged in this, one of the Wolverine watchmen, Paul Ballard, his girlfriend, like her family lost their restaurant that had been in their family for generations. He was almost, you know, he was losing his house and was going to be homeless. So it was really affecting these people personally. Um, and so they, they had these uh, anti-lockdown rallies and stuff. Adam Fox shows up to the first one. There's two in April of 2020, one April 15th, one April 30th, and a, a bunch of people show up. Adam Fox shows up. At this point, he's never even met the Wolverine Watchman. Um, but Dan is there, their main informant, and then a couple of the other watchmen. They're there in their tactical gear, their plate carriers, and we see images of them in the trailer. You'll see them armed kind of inside the Capitol, um, standing there with their firearms. And those images right right, right right there, right there. Yeah, that's them. So this is the day I'm talking about. So these guys are standing out there dressed like that the fbi informant dan chapel is wearing a wire that is feeding into the fbi in real time so mind you as this rally is happening the fbi has agents stationed all around the area monitoring everything in real time dan on his wire says hey i think these guys are getting ready to do something so what does the fbi do the fbi detroit field office they call the lansing capitol police and they go Hmm, we want you to stand down, open the doors, and let everybody inside the Capitol. The wow. media is there to get the photo up. That's this picture that goes across the news. There's a couple other pictures of these guys in there, and they run with the narrative that these guys stormed the Capitol in Michigan. Far right, right it's
0: extremist. J6 all over again. It. It's yeah, the Fed's erection. Yeah, the far Fed's right extremists,
1: anti-vaxxers, yeah. anti-lockdown extremists storm the Michigan state capitol you'll see these uh, stories that were run. And what's funny about it is it came out of trial. These guys went through COVID screening to get inside.
0: Wow. (laughs) They didn't storm the building. You can't can't storm until we screen you for (laughs) COVID-19. Sorry. Sorry,
1: let's stand here and get our temperatures taken. I'm
0: going to stick this in your nose for 10 seconds. Just... And and then you can go storm. Then you can storm.
1: anything violent, nothing dangerous happened. These guys stood around inside for a couple hours. The media took their pictures, which they were very excited about, and then they left. It totally peaceful. Nothing happened. But
0: this, yeah. these pictures, like you said, these are very inflaming towards very sensitive little.
1: This. Yeah, there uh, are. This there's a, a segment out. in Michigan of people who are very liberal and so they see stuff like that and it terrifies them you know they think back to like timothy mcveigh and stuff because michigan in some areas does have some strange militia activity like they've always had state i mean it's not
0: open exactly so but there's some people
1: in michigan who have very strong opinions about the militia uh, but In any case, though, so this was the dry run, and these images were splashed across the media. And the FBI used that, by the way, to try to recruit more people into this Wolverine Watchman militia group because they were trying to set them up. So these guys, when they saw these pictures go out, they go, oh, this is great. You know, the FBI is telling them, hey, they have their informants saying, hey, we can use this to recruit more people into the Watchmen.'"
0: Have you ever seen this book, The Terror Factory? Inside the oh, FBI's Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's I've, like the same stuff. It's all the same stuff. I've, this is a great book. Like he yeah, almost absolutely. says, like, yeah, yeah. So this is part of the whole thing. Oh, the this ISIS is theme. Yeah.
1: It's the same thing. It's just different targets and yeah, different, yeah. yeah, but they and they same playbook. They find somebody vulnerable, they work them, they've tried to pressure them. They have in some cases multiple people suggesting criminal activity to them. Like with the Whitmer case, and and you know, you guys might laugh at this. They were offering these guys (laughs) because towards like August, the FBI is starting to get really angry that like we can't get these guys to do anything. The FBI had suggested they had one of their informants suggest that they shoot some rounds into governor's mansions. Uh, One of the informants said, oh, you know what, we should put some Tannerite in the governor's driveway and then shoot it to explode it to send a message Um, Dan Chappell, the FBI informant, suggested taking out Gretchen Whitmer's security detail. Now this is all the FBI suggesting crimes. This is not these defendants coming up with this and that's not their idea. In fact, every time The FBI suggests violence like this. These guys are like, no, um, we're going to talk to some constitutional sheriffs. Adam Fox, the poor guy they framed as the ringleader, he has zero criminal record, never been to jail before. This poor man is in uh, the shoe at Florence Supermax right now, which is tragic.
0: He has never
1: been in trouble before. This poor guy was homeless. He was living in the basement of the VAC shack when the FBI preyed upon him like a den of vipers. They sent numerous informants after him. We think his girlfriend may have been working for them as well because she was the one really encouraging him to join the militia. He'd just gone through a divorce. He just had a grandparent pass away. He's in a vulnerable position. He gave his house to his ex-wife. So he's living in the basement of a vacuum repair shop, homeless. He has no friends, doesn't have a father figure when the FBI befriends him through an informant and starts working him and pressuring him every day. And, and he's always trying. So the FBI, they were asked about, you know, why were you guys suggesting uh, crimes to these people? And they had to admit that they did on the stand and they called those de-escalation tactics. Really, and each time you suggested, he's saying, "Oh no, I think I want to try calling some constitutional sheriffs." Which, by the way, he did. There was a sheriff that was going to meet with him, a sheriff named uh, Abbott, Sheriff Abbott. I forget which county he was in that was going to meet with Adam Fox to talk to him about uh, doing some kind of like uh, I forget what they called it, but they thought they were going to do some kind of legal, like citizens' arrest, if they got a constitutional sheriff to sign off on this or something and the fbi told him oh don't meet up with that sheriff that's going to be a setup you know so right. like he so, no.
0: so yeah. that's a lesson for anybody listening if somebody's trying to encourage you to do illegal activities you should sit up in your chair and hopefully the hair on the back of your neck will stand up because <laughs> that's the predicate to all these things we need to start doing illegal stuff yeah. no just like that bomb apps or whatever who's encouraging people to get to the capitol Yes. people sniffed him out as a fed right away they knew it right but, away
1: yeah, yeah and so it's the same all those that's people right.
0: who didn't when you go back and look at j6 look at the people who didn't get arrested that's what no. very telling oh we, but we are hold that. on christina we are at the 55 minute mark uh you still have your give send go up right
1: yes people can still do. donate to
0: the project yeah.
1: absolutely that's right um still fundraising for it so we can complete the project uh you can donate uh, on the give send go fundraising page you can do so anonymously also if you're worried about ending up on an fbi list you can donate i'm already enough. on a
0: list so I don't, it doesn't bother me at all they'll just duplicate my name again probably
1: yeah there you uh, go
0: but, but yeah so the name of the working name of the documentary is kidnap and kill an yes. fbi terror plot this is a very important case because it's the predicate, the precursor to J6, That's which they right. held back all that video, too. So it's very similar. Things are going yep. on where these are constitutional violations and they released the video to Carlson, fired him. But some oh of that video God. got that uh, shaman out of jail right away because it was yep. clear that he didn't storm He's anything. He's
1: getting escorted around by the police. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but these the
0: people's building. lives are ruined. These people's lives are ruined. Yes, They've had to spend right. all their money.
1: And it's they have the to same go to court. They get maligned. Similar. It's a form
0: of defamation. You've too.
1: got the FBI just guiding these guys around, taking them on yeah. guided tours. You know, basically. Same Christina, thing. where can people
0: reach out to you? I'll put links to your project on the show notes. But you are on okay. Twitter too, right? So people, can I check am.
1: It. Yes, uh, it is uh, at not Radix on Twitter, N-O-T-R-A-D-I-X. Um, a good way to find all of my work there is just to go to uh, my website, which is just Radixverum.com. We've got the uh, trailer there for the documentary. We have fundraising links there and links to all of my social media all in one place. So you can just Radixverum.com.
0: Awesome. Well, it's I mean, I can tell just from talking to you. You have all the facts down. You got a lot of information. So I'm looking forward to your completed project. And when you you. finish it, let me know. I'll put you back on. We'll talk about it. But uh, again, it's Christina. Also goes by Radix Verum, R-A-D-I-X, next word, V-E-R-U-M. I will put links to the trailer if you're listening to this on audio and her social media in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time.